Well, it's kind of a special day here in the virtual studio of Cotton Grow Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. Uh, a milestone, some people might say. It's the 100th episode of the Cotton Companion. And we welcome all of our listeners, uh, both new listeners and those who have stuck with us for a while. And we appreciate the time, certainly, that you give to us twice a month. I'm Jim Stedman, Senior Editor of Cotton Grower. And as always, I'm joined by Cotton Grower Editor Frank Giles. And today, we're also happy to welcome back to the studio, Beck Barnes, who had the brainstorm to start this little audio experiment uh, a couple years ago. Gentlemen, how's everybody doing today? Doing great. Doing great. So, you know, I feel like a newcomer to this, this uh, conversation. I've only been doing these for about a year or so. I guess, how long have you been doing this? Was four four years plus now? I think it's longer than that. I was thinking about it um, earlier today. I think I want to say we started doing this in 15, but definitely 2016. We were doing it by 2016. So yeah, it's been, what does that make? Five years at least? At least. A lot to talk about in cotton. Yeah. Yeah. We've come a long way. We, we really have. We're going to talk about that in just a minute because, you know, to be honest, I tried to figure out some way to add some sort of celebration music or sound effects uh, for this episode, but, but I figured we'd end up getting sideways with somebody over, over royalty rights. Um, so, you know, if there's something you'd like to hum or sing, you know, right now to mark this occasion, you know, now's the time to do it. And I'll, I'll just sit back and wait. Yeah. That might be, that, that might be <laughs> bad for our audience. We might lose some people. Yeah. Well, we definitely would if I started singing, but it's funny you say that way back when, when we started, I had a buddy, I still got a buddy uh, who's still there today, who was in the music industry in Nashville, Jim, and you may remember this at the time, but right. Um, yeah, he knew the people to call and the folks to reach out to, to make sure we were okay on royalty rights to use the Drucker song that we use, uh, as an intro. And there's also, I believe we're still using the, um, the Dallas, Dave, Dallas Davidson, uh, uh, God made a farmer is the name of that. I think we are too. Yes. Yeah. It was, it's, it's good to know folks in Nashville when you need, when you need, uh, uh, royalty right, uh, permissions, um, Aside from that, now we have not been able to score each. When I when we first podcast, I was like, "Oh, we'll score each episode, each conversation with a fun song." And I, I learned real quickly that lawyers lawyers have a thing or two to say. It has it has been a learning experience. Now, I just I just want to know uh, what were you thinking when you decided that two classically trained print journalists from the fine Southern institutions of higher learning needed to start a podcast? Yeah, yeah. Well. Well, you know, I've got a face for uh, podcasting, you might say, uh, Jim, but, and you will remember this. Uh, I believe you'll remember back in uh, 2014, I was getting at a uh, little sports startup media brand, and I watched uh, that, those folks create podcasts that just blew up. And uh, I thought, hey, you know, I wonder, could we do that at Cotton Grower? One thing I remember from my, you know, junior high, high school years, actually probably younger than that, uh, working summers on the farm is, man, y'all spend a lot of time in the cab of those pickup trucks. Uh, you know, there's only so much talk radio, sports radio you can do every day of the year before you start getting a little burnt out. And so I thought to myself, man, we might we might have an opportunity here to give our farmer audience uh, something to listen to to break up those long hours in the cab. And, um, you know, I'd say it was a it was a good bet. It's, uh, we built up a good little following that, um, man, I'm proud of. And uh, Jim, I know you and Frank uh, have done so to, to carry that audience uh, into this year. 
Yeah. Well, basically, you know, you think about it. We started, uh, you know, two guys in an empty office with with a box of microphones, an old laptop, and a small mixing board, and neither one of us knew exactly what to do with all of that. Yeah. Uh, and we had couldn't tell you what to do with that mixing board. I just got a hundred. <laughs> I couldn't either. I don't even know where the volume knob is on that thing. Out of all hundred of them. Yeah. Well, thankfully, we don't have to use that anymore. Yeah. Uh, we had, and I recall, we had to choose our recording times carefully because we shared that common wall with the dentist's office, <laughs> and uh, you know, we were we were either getting this annoying high pitched drill sound, or you know, people laughing or talking from uh, from being under the you know the laughing gas. Um, or we're having to watch the weather to avoid rain that, that, that whenever it, it rained at, our, at that office, it always seemed like BBs hitting yeah. the window. Yeah, every exterior wall was yeah. a window. The whole wall was a window. So a rain sounded, yeah, sounded like a, a drum line <laughs> or something. So, so then you move on. You move on to another role uh, with Cotton Grower and we bring Frank in. Frank, did you have any clue what you were getting yourself into? Well, I'll say this. I was a little intimidated when this started because the prospect of doing this, uh, you know, twice a month uh, seems like a lot. And it, it, it is a little bit of a job, but it's fun, fun to have these conversations, a great way to stay engaged with the market as well. And I guess I got into it because we've started one of these in citrus, uh, uh, in our citrus market that we cover as well. So now I'm doing four of these a month. So that might be my limit, though. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think my plate's pretty full at this point. You may, need, you may need an FCC license if you do any more. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, basically, we sit here today, we've, we've survived 100 episodes, and we figured out a way to make virtual, uh, a virtual studio work from locations all across the Cotton Belt. And it is the one thing I will give COVID credit for. It allowed us to figure out a way to make all this work a whole lot more efficiently and, and easier. And, and all of that wouldn't be possible without giving a shout out to our, our producer, Tyler and, uh, and Kim, who make us sound a whole lot better than we probably deserve uh, for this, these podcasts. So anyway, today, since Beck and I are both back on the microphones with Frank, it only made sense to bring our first guest back for this episode too. So our good friend and certainly no stranger to the podcast, uh, Dr. O.A. Cleveland will join us in a few minutes. Uh, he'll probably sling a few barbs at us while trying to explain uh, this long bullish ride the cotton market's been taking. And Gerald Nieper with True Cotton Commodities based in downtown Bakersfield, California, is also going to join in the discussion live uh, while he's on an airport layover on his way to someplace important. So uh, guys, it sounds like a party to me. Uh, Let's get it started with a quick look at what's new across the cotton belt. Frank? Well, let's start with uh, cotton numbers from USDA's July 26 crop progress report. The 2021 U.S. cotton crop continues to make up for lost time. It's hot out there, and the cotton's loving that, so it's catching up. Cotton is squaring, now reported at 79% of the crop, up nine percentage points in the past week but still needs about five points off the five-year uh, five average for this week. Bowl set is seen at 37% of the crop, up 14 percentage points, but also five points off the five-year average. Four states, Arizona, California, Missouri, and South Carolina, are tracking ahead of average, while 13 of the 15 cotton-producing states reported increase in bowl set, ranging from 10 to 25 percentage points. Cotton condition remains steady with 61% of the crop rated good to excellent, 31% fair, and 8% poor to very poor. 
And New Farm Americas recently announced that it has launched leopard herbicide for use in burned down applications of cotton, soybeans, and field corn. Leopard features dual action formulation and that boosts foliar activity and adds re residual to the burned down applications to help keep weeds suppressed up to planting. Its low use rates you, its low use rate makes it highly compatible with tank mix partners for burn down herbicides like glyphosate 2,4-D and can be applied 30 to 40 days prior to planting for increased cropping flexibility. More information about leopard herbicide and other new farm crop protection solutions is available on the new farm website. Now it's time to open up the virtual studio welcome in uh, our good friend and regular guest, Dr. O.A. Cleveland, who's Professor Emeritus of Agricultural Economics at Mississippi State University. And joining us by phone is another good friend of the Cotton Companion, Gerald Nieper of True Cotton Commodities. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. It's our uh, 100th episode and we're trying to celebrate a little bit. And as you can, as you can tell, Beck uh, has even joined it in today. Woohoo! <laughs> but, uh, but oh, I, I'm gonna start with you. I have to ask this question since you have the distinction of being our, our very first guest way back when. Has the celebration of Mississippi State's College World Series Championship seen, has it ended yet? Have things calmed down in Starkville? Oh, absolutely not. My uh, two cases of wine, national championship wine bottles are due to arrive today. Uh, I got my Woodward Reserve Championship bottle yesterday. Uh, it's just beginning. So I'm sure you're just gonna keep these as, uh, as, as mementos and, and let them set and age properly. You're not gonna break them open and drink them immediately, are you? No, no, it'll take several days. <laughs> <laughs> and the party begins. All right, Jim, Gerald, do you have anything you want to add to that? Just, just knowing the whole, the whole circumstance and the personalities involved here. No, no I don't have anything right now, Jim. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and there's the wise man involved in this. Okay. All right. Um, time to get your explaining hats on. Um, where is this crazy cotton market going and what's driving the engine right now? Well, that's a wonderful question. And I'm going to defer that to Gerald at this in a moment, but I'll respond briefly. Uh, we just say it's taken us a hundred meetings to get cotton to 90 cents. It's getting almost to taken almost a hundred meetings to uh, sessions to, to talk in terms of a dollar. Uh, I think driving the market is this big consumer engine around the world as we move into and have progressed into a very strong and significant economic recovery, certainly here in the United States, but also in Europe and in Asia as well. So uh, this, this consumer con economy has been extremely strong. Of course, it's been uh, uh, supported by the, uh, the, the, the U.S. government's both fiscal and monetary policy and the, the monetary policy we've seen throughout the world, really. So it's, it's driven by consumer demand. Uh, we've picked it up at a time where there is questionably some uh, a, a time period of declining stocks. But bull markets are measured by demand, and uh, it's, it's a demand market. And as you commented, I'd likewise, I'd say for Gerald to jump in anytime you feel like he needs to or he needs to, but uh, demand, demand, demand. Right. And, and, and certainly, you know, commodities are looked at right now as a, as a reflation trade. I mean, there's just so much liquidity out there sloshing around. 
you know, they're talking about oil possibly going to $100 a barrel. And I think that's going to drag cotton along with it, uh, not to a hundred bucks a pound, but uh, it's, you know, if, if oil takes off and, and some of these other commodities take off, I mean, it, it's amazing that with all the weather problems they've had in Brazil, that, uh, that the grain markets haven't done better. But I think that's just a matter of, of time. And, and if those things take off, you know, that's going to yank, uh, that's going to pull up cotton also. You know, last night you had a huge jump in, in Chinese futures prices. They were up almost 400 RMB, taking them up to around a dollar 23. That was almost a 300 point movement in, in China futures last night. So, you know, China buying, you've got Pakistan out there hungry for, for cotton. You know, China's importing yarn like there's no tomorrow. Um, it, you know, it just gets back to what OA was saying. You know, it's a demand driven market right now. So, um, and, and inventories, retail inventories are, are very low. They, they're having to go through a whole restocking phase right at the moment. So, you know, it's, it's certainly, certainly very strong demand. Sounds good. Well, overall, um, we now have a pretty good but a late cotton crop uh, that's out in the fields. Uh, and this week, especially here in the Mid-South, uh, it's giving the crop all the heat it needs to catch up in a hurry. Uh, I know I'm happy to be sitting in, inside an air-conditioned uh, space at this point rather than being outside. Uh, how are you feeling about this crop right now and, and what kind of watchouts may be ahead for us? Well, I'm really excited to get out the Sunday afternoon and Monday and drive around and look at crop because I'm expecting to see what you just implied, a basic explosion in plant growth and blooms. The crop has made outstanding progress the last week and what, and I, as you suggested, it's made tremendous improvement this week. So I'll get to see it the first of next week. Uh, and it's it's becoming to, 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 we're beginning to think this crop is gonna be as big as, pick on Gerald a moment, as big as he thought it might be earlier in the year. But nevertheless, it's still late. It's the first of August. And uh, we're still short on blooms. We're blooming very well now, but squares and bowls, we're still late. But it, it has made up so much ground and these racehorse varieties that we have now, we can still get to a big crop. The problem is we've got to have a late fall, uh, a late winter. We talk about that every year, but this year we have to have it, period. And, and you know, to add to that, I mean, even West Texas with all these fantastic grains they've had out there, I mean, they're well behind on their heat units. I mean, um, basically from, from Lubbock North, you're looking at any, anywhere from since the 1st of June, they're, they're behind on heat units by, you know, uh, 15 to, to 25%. So they, they need some hot weather as, as well to, to make all this good water that they've got, to work for them. So yeah, they're going to, their, their timing will, will be critical as, as, as well in terms of needing a, a good, a, a late fall. Okay. Now, Gerald, I've got, I've got one question for you. Uh, since you're based out in, in California, and we know California is going through some pretty extreme drought conditions right now, uh, and we've seen some of that impact uh, through a drop in cotton acres in the state this year. What are you hearing from growers in, out there about this year's crop, and kind of what's the outlook for California cotton, both upland and Pima, as, as we move ahead? You know, it's, it's going to be difficult. I mean, guys are ripping up, you know, taking orchards out this year because of some, some almond orchards because of, of, of the dry weather and the lack of water. 
uh, that they've got to operate with. And next year, you know, you could even see a further reduction in, in, in acres. I mean, this year, what, California planted just under 100,000 acres of, of FEMA cotton. And they say 40,000 acres of upland. I think that's a, a little bit high, but uh, even still, you take out the cotton along the Colorado River and the cotton in the uh, uh, Sacramento Valley. Um, so you've got, you know, maybe 25,000, maybe 30,000 acres of, of upland cotton in the valley and, you know, 90,000, 95,000 acres of, of FEMA. That's hardly anything. Uh, you know, Boswell, the biggest FEMA grower, you know, rumor has it that they will probably be reducing uh, their, their cotton acres this next year. Um, which means fewer Pima acres in in, uh, in California. Um, the uh, it, you know as as they're moving their crops to, to to the higher value almonds and pistachios, mostly pistachios, but they also have a tomato cannery or processing facility that they need to feed. Um, you know, if a guy has wells, you know, yeah, okay, they'll they'll pump their wells. But even this year. Some people are worried that their wells are going to go out on them. Um, they're also, also this year from a crop standpoint, uh, I haven't heard it's in places, but, you know, insects are starting to kind of uh, get on these guys' nerves a little bit. Um, you know, the Arizona crop is, is doing pretty well from a far western standpoint. I mean, they're getting all these nice monsoon rains, and that's helping to relieve some of their, uh, their irrigation uh, needs over there. But uh, longer term, you know, cotton may just go the way of the dodo bird, you know, in, in California. They just make, I don't know that it'll completely disappear because growers are still getting paid pretty decent numbers to grow planting seed uh, for fiber max and delta pine and, and the like. But, uh, you know, even, even those planting seed contracts are probably going to have to get a little bit more attractive to, to induce guys to keep growing it. So... Um, I, if we can hold steady at these current acreages, you know, 100, and, 100 to 135,000 acres a year, that would be fantastic. But I suspect over the next 10 years, you know, you may be looking at nothing more than, you know, well, it all is going to depend on how much water we get this next winter. So it, it would be real easy to write off cotton but it's all going to be snow dependent well we we've been talking about the crop the usda says uh 17.8 million bales on 11.7 million acres you think that's a doable number uh if this crop if this crop proceeds as well as the crop conditions index you know it, it indicates texas gets a late summer uh late fall weather and they can make up these heat units 17.8, we're going to be looking at in the rearview mirror as, as we as we work our way toward 19, possibly. Oh, wait. Well, I, I don't want to agree, uh, disagree with Gerald in that regard, but the 19 million bale crop uh, pretends something like a, the first frost in, in West Texas coming around December 1. Uh, it pretends that we continue to get some moisture 
in West Texas through uh, August, through uh, September, through October. And then it, then it turns to pure sunshine. A 19 million bale crop pretends nothing but sunshine in, in September, October, and November in the, in the, in the Mid-South. Yes, it's there. And as I said, uh, we have racehorse varieties now. But uh, this crop is terribly late. It's putting on fruit. It it's usually puts its heavy fruit on in July. It's going to put its heavy fruit on in August of this year. So while it's made up a ton of progress fruiting-wise, it's still going to be three weeks to a month late. It can do it. <coughs> but, wow, we're really rolling the dice for the weatherman. I, 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 I should have preface this by saying we need perfect weather to even think about getting to 19 but i think 17 8 to let's say 18 3 is is, is doable uh, i would agree with that it's doable a month ago i said 17 3 17 4 and i i'm not going to walk away from that it's still if we get what we would call typical normal average uh i think it will definitely be below 18 because that would give us this, this uh, uh, it would give us weather that would come too early to harvest the late fruit. Well, the other thing I've noticed in, in all the reports over the past month, uh, it, that exports seem to be holding pretty steady. It looks like we're going to make uh, USDA's projection for exports. Where's it all going right now? Well, we're shipping crop everywhere in a sense, though, that China's still been the big number. Pakistan has been the welcome surprise, a huge surprise. Pakistan will continue to be a Price. We've shipped five million bales, uh, sold five million plus to to uh, China. We've shipped nearly all of it, maybe 400,000 bales left. Uh, still shipping to China, uh, but uh, Vietnam's been a big buyer. A few things are are on the surface that we're beginning to wonder about. Uh, we're not seeing China active in the in the forward market in the 22. Uh, demand year like we thought we would. We don't know what that means. Is it political? Is it uh, economic? Uh, Gerald made the comment, and maybe that has a lot to do with it, about uh, China uh, importing more yarn. I won't say more than normal, but it's flying in there. Uh, so they may not need as much raw cotton. Nevertheless, their, uh, their country depends upon employment in, in, in textile mills. So I think they'll continue to buy cotton. They'll look probably first to Brazil instead of the United States. They're still not going to look to Australia because of political issues, but we'll see probably more coming out of India going into, in, into China. But I think sooner or later, they do have to come to the U.S. Uh, I'd like to hear Gerald's comment on that, seriously. Well, um, I, I think they will come to the U.S. I mean, they just issued the, this uh, sliding scale quota. Um, you know, there's not a lot of nearby cotton that can be shipped, but you've got a lot of cotton over there. What, 700 to 750,000 tons of, of cotton sitting in bonded warehouses. And I think that stuff's going to disappear. Once that stuff starts disappearing, people are going to ship. People are going to move cotton back into those bonded warehouses. And, and I think that, that, uh, that's where some of the, the early cotton, U.S. cotton will go. Um, you know, they may not have a sale, but they know China's going to need it at some point. They'll be moving it into those warehouses. Um, it, it, it's, it's interesting that China almost acts like they don't have any cotton. I mean, as strong as the, as the prices are over there, you know, the reserves are coming out with 10,000 tons basically 
every day, and this that stuff is getting uh, sopped up as, as quickly as possible. Um, but I'm not hearing of a lot of inquiries yet from China for nearby stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's probably just a matter of time. Wouldn't totally agree. Yeah, thank you. Well, now I've got one last question, and this is, this is the big one that everybody wants, uh, wants to hear the answer to. What needs to happen to get to dollar cotton this year? When you're sitting there looking at it right now, do you need binoculars or do you just need some good, strong glasses to see it? Oh, maybe a microscope. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go ahead and jump and go first so Daryl can correct me. Uh, we've talked dollar cotton for some time. I'm not as comfortable as I was, but I'll be very careful and say I am not uncomfortable in yet seeing dollar cotton. Uh, I, this crop has come on very strong. There are a lot of question about how much acreage is actually in the state of Texas. If USDA's number is correct, then, uh, then, then, and they get that good weather, the crop gets bigger. A lot of suggestion that the crop is, that that planting is two to 100 to 300,000 too high, the estimate that would be. But uh, nonetheless, I think we do have a, a, a very strong probability that we get to the market into the 93 cent area. We've got a hurdle between 92 and a half and 93 cents. We clear that hurdle and then we just uh, just nitpick all the way up to a dollar. We get some sort of a normal harvest season and there's not going to be any cotton available in my opinion on November the 1st for export. Then we begin to push toward a dollar. Nonetheless, I'm absolutely uh, 75 percent sold at 95 cents, and I'm between 50 and 75 percent sold right here at 90 cents. But I, I'm definitely not writing it off. Oh, hey, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that about the uh, the question mark about the acreage in Texas because there's a lot of folks that I respect out there who claim that that the 6.8 million bale 6.8 million acres are just not there, um, and uh, so. You know, if you took those acreage down to, you know, let's say six two, six three, you know, even with a reduced uh, abandonment, you've got fewer harvested acres. Um, that's uh, uh, that's something right there that would really challenge us getting up to, you know, an eighteen million, seventeen eight to eighteen million bale crop number. And if, if that's if they come out with a lower acreage number in the August report. Um, it could make things real interesting. So, um, will we see a dollar this year? I don't know. We, we keep we keep working our way that way, but the ninety three to ninety five cents is, is is I think about all we can go to in in the short term. But uh, gentlemen, I really apologize, but I've got to go get on board the plane. Joy Cancun. Yeah. Well, it, it's actually it's actually a great place to call time on this discussion and. And we, we do appreciate you taking a few minutes to call in for us, and, and, and thanks for, for doing that. And we'll catch up with you again down the road. Thank you for letting me participate today. Uh, OA, as usual, thanks for your perspective. Uh, whether it's the first episode or the 100th episode, uh, we always appreciate your comments. Y'all always honor me. Thank you so very much. Appreciate Cotton. Thanks, OA. Thank you. And that's it for the 100th episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. As always, thank you, dear listeners, for joining us. And if you like what you hear on the Cotton Companion, please be sure to spread the word and tell your farmer friends. Here's Miss Diane to tell you how and how you can find us. 
You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, the Cotton Grower e-news, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Well, Beck, I want to thank you for joining us again today and, and getting this project up and running because it, it really has turned into something that is, uh, is fun and, and uh, hopefully informational. And uh, it, it gives us another opportunity to, to touch our audience in a way that, uh, that we hope they certainly appreciate it. So uh, for old times' sake, why don't you take us home for this episode? Oh, I'm happy to do it. Happy to do it. And I appreciate uh, being allowed back in the editor's clubhouse. It's been too long. So uh, let's see. The Cotton Companion Podcast comes to you twice monthly and is produced by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at the mothership up there in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I'm joined today by... Jim Stedman and Frank Giles, and those two fellas are going to be back with you in two weeks with the next episode of The Cotton Companion. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all.